Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. We started the refurbishment of our business this week. It's taken nearly three years from when we put in our planning application. The building is Grade 2 listed, and so any changes, inside or out, need planning approval. And the conservation and building regs people can often be in conflict. This means that no one is prepared to respond and give the agreed answer. This and the Covid crisis were the cause of a nearly three-year process just to get to the starting line. The building is a white Georgian structure, built in the early 19th century, and was originally lived in by a mill owner. Our practice is near the River Ray, Birmingham's main river, which for a large city is unusual because of its size. Extremely small, given that most major cities were developed out of having major ports or river crossings. If you think of any large and long-standing city, such as Sydney, Tokyo, or London, or Budapest, They're all close to the water in some way, and usually it's a major stretch of the stuff. And yet Birmingham had to have a communication of canals built because it had become the centre of the Industrial Revolution, rather than the other way round. The buildings that were constructed in the preamble to this time had to be functional, and so many foundries, mills and brickworks, as well as multiple gun factories appeared. Like many rivers, the River Ray has become a dumping ground for all and sundry but I had not realised what riches it hid away until I met Henry, who was keen to show me his brick collection. Henry was our next-door neighbour, who passed away a few years ago. He kept himself to himself, but would always chat when we saw each other. He lived on his own, and in his later years he had had a stroke and had lost the sight in one eye. But he continued his post-retirement work as a marriage counsellor until the end. Often confused couples expecting to find a commercial building would walk up to me saying they were looking for Henry. They never used his surname. The garden was left in its natural state, and at various points his fence gradually fell down in various places. We felt it best to just get on and replace his fence so that our dog couldn't get out. The day after we'd had the work done, a bottle of whiskey liqueur appeared on our front door with a card to say, Thanks, Henry. One evening I had to pop around to have a chat with him about a local matter and he invited me into the hallway. Having briefly discussed the thing I went around to see him for, a planning matter that he needed to be aware of and would probably have not been consulted on, he asked me if I would like to see his shell collection. To my left there was a case with glass, just like you would see in a museum, in particular a natural history museum. I could look down at all the samples that he'd collected since he was a child when he was living in Ireland. He was now in his eighties. Underneath this was a cascade of very slim drawers, the kind of thing you would see in an art shop to store large pieces of paper. But here we had fossilised shells, but the one in a million fossilised shell that he had found had the spiral going in the other direction, and we launched into a protracted time journey through prehistory. Just as I pinched myself thinking about what an otherworldly experience I was having, 
he turned to prompt me over to the other side of the room, where a large fitted bookshelf in an alcove was crammed with bricks. The bricks were all of different sizes, and he proceeded to tell me about how he had found all of these bricks in the River Cole and the River Ray. My immediate thought was, well, I suppose you would, but why bring them home and file them in your bookshelf? He clearly clocked where my mind was running and started to discuss the brickworks where each one was made, when the works were set up and why, the dates, and showed me the different shapes and sizes and what they would have been used for, including why some of the ends were blue, part of the fact that these had their ends exposed to the firing process and thus became used to create the so-called diaper patterns with the bluey brick showing through, a kind of hexagonal arrangement to decorate houses during the 19th century. In fact, it then occurred to me that our own house had such a pattern, but the mill on the river would have become disused, then derelict, and then bricks may have spilled into the river. One of the bricks in this collection could have come from the mill, run by the mill owner that lived in what has now become our business. So we went from prehistory to a social history of Birmingham, based upon finds in the local river. What many people would see as just detritus, he found value. These were not just chance findings in, what that, in that he would often spend the day wandering along or even into the river to make these finds. Whenever I saw him, we would often have discussions that required long silences and consideration about lots of different topics. The silences were quite unsettling at times, but I would politely smile. Then one day, the inevitable happened. I opened a letter, which was hand-delivered through our postbox. Henry had died and his daughter wanted to let us know that his memorial service was to be held in a meeting room at the Midlands Arts Centre just down the road from us. I had only ever met Henry, no one else in his family, and it would have been easy to leave it, but my wife and I felt drawn to go. His friends and a small family, just his daughter, son-in-law and ex-wife, whom he had parted with amicably, and they were good friends. I found out that he'd been a local councillor, and had when he'd found out that Muslim people in Birmingham in the 1960s were having to pray in their own homes and meet up to do so, fought on their behalf for a local mosque to be built. He was an atheist, but had clearly seen the needs of a small, marginalised population that needed help and a voice. All of his friends were deeply fond of him. His wife described his love of natural history, and it was clear from what she said and everyone else's responses that we had all stood next to that case and listened to Henry discuss the minutiae of what was within. We all smiled. She said that the problem for her was that she loved a walk in the country. But so did Henry. The problem was that they both had a different vision. For her, it would be a long, refreshing walk, taking in the views. For Henry, it was observing the detail of nature. So every three or four paces, the walk would come to a standstill, while Henry would examine something small within a hedge, a bush, or within the grass, and would wax lyrical about it for some time. The stop-start nature was clearly not to everyone's taste. He had a love of Irish whisky, and it was quite poignant to see some bottles of Jameson's put out for us to toast him, and of course, in the background, was a collection of choice bricks from his collection. 